Well, guys, last time I was with you, uh, it was a few weeks almost back to back, we were able to look at kind of an overview of reaching people, being disciple makers, how to how to enter into empty fields where Christ is not, how to share the gospel, how to disciple new believers. And we've been trying to connect those dots. And we're following the same pattern that we use in our connect group ministry um, because our connect groups are about making disciples and equipping them to make disciples. So tonight I want to show you, and I'm going to I'm going to spin this around in a minute. You can take notes later. I'll flip it back around when we're done. You can take a picture of it. I, I usually do these days is just take a picture. But just to give you a quick overview, and then we're going to actually study one of these passages, okay? So if you picture a farmer going into an empty field, picture this with no writing. It's empty. Nothing there. All right? A farmer goes into an empty field. He prepares it, prepares the soil, and then what does he do? He enters into it and then he begins to sow the seed. And as he sows the seed, by God's grace, some begins to grow. And as the crop grows, he cares for it. He helps it mature. And then once it reaches maturity and the harvest season comes, he gathers it together and he gathers the harvest. Well, this is a picture of making disciples. And by the way, he doesn't sell it all or eat it all. Back before he could go to the co-op and get a bag of seed, uh, he would keep some of it so that he could use it for the next season. And this is a picture of the continuation of raising up more disciples that continue the process of going out and entering into empty fields, preaching the gospel, discipling new believers, grouping them together. So the empty field represents either places or people without Christ. We all know people who need Christ. People that are far from God. Like Mr. Alvin says, some people that may not know they're far from God, but they need the gospel. Okay? The seeded field represents sharing the gospel, sowing the seed of the gospel. The growing field represents discipling new believers. The harvest field represents grouping new believers together. If it's in a mission field where there's no churches, then that means gathering them together and starting new churches. That can even be the case here. We could go out two by two, knocking on doors, praying for people, sharing the gospel. And when they come to Christ, starting new churches with those people from the harvest. We can do that here. And then the continuation is leadership development. Continually developing leaders and teaching them this process. So we have two tools for each field. Okay, two tools for how to enter. Two tools for how to share the gospel. Two tools for how to disciple new believers. I'm going to stop there for tonight. Okay? So, two tools for entering into the empty field. Making, this is so simple, y'all. You're going, making a list of people that you know who are far from God and praying for them every day. And then looking for chances to share the gospel with them. That's called intentionality. That's called good stewardship. We all have relationships with friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, people who need Jesus. We need to pray for them every single day. And we need to look for opportunities and take and make and take opportunities to share the gospel. So simply making a list and being intentional with the people in your life that need Christ. Number one. Number two, two by two. Every Wednesday night, we have an evangelism team. Most Saturdays, we have an evangelism team. They get together in two by two. They go out, and they knock on doors, and they share the gospel with people. 
It's just saying, hey, there's people out there that aren't going to come to church, but we still need to take them the precious message of the gospel. And we need to go and just see where God might be at work. So we go two by two with a partner, and we pray while we go, and we seek for opportunities to share the gospel. So then, that's how you enter into the empty fields. Number two, how do you share the gospel? Okay, so this is where do you go, who do you talk to, and this is what do you say? Well, we have two tools for sharing the gospel. Share my story and share God's story. And we've, we've gone over this before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now. But we, we have a tool for, called the 20-second testimony. You can share your testimony in 20 seconds. Two words that describe your life before Christ. One sentence that describes coming to Christ. And then two words that describe how he's changed your life after following him. Because he changes our lives when we follow him. And then my story. I like to use the Romans Road. There's all kind of tools. But this is what I tell you. September the 11th. It's an easy date to remember. We're going to have an evangelism training. It's going to be a half a day. We're going to meet up here. We're going to go through all of this and more. And we're going to practice it. And you, if you come, you'll leave feeling a lot more competent and confident to share the gospel. We'll have some good practice interaction. September the 11th, we're really going to spend a lot of time on practicing how to do this. But two tools for sharing the gospel. And then what, what do we do when they come to Christ? We don't just leave them out there to fend for themselves. We need to teach them how to study the Word. Teach them how to walk with Christ. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28? Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. So, he says, go make disciples. What do you do when they come to Christ? Teach them to obey him. Not just teach them all that he commanded, but teach them obedience. We want to teach them to walk with Christ, to obey what they learn. So we have tools for that. If you come to connect groups, if you don't, please come to a connect group. I'd love to help you find one. Uh, we have some great groups that are studying the Bible every week, that are holding each other accountable, that are walking with Christ, encouraging one another. I was meeting with a connect group leader for lunch today. His grandmother has been sick for several weeks now and bedridden. And he was bragging, not just him and his parents both go to church here. His connect group and his parents connect group have been bringing meals for like six weeks, every twice a week. And he was talking about how much of a blessing it was. He said, I, said, I don't know how long this is going to go on. I don't know how long they're going to keep bringing them, but we're going to keep taking them. But we care for each other. We need community. So if you're not in a connect group, I'd love to help you find one. If you are, then you should know about this three-thirds process. We get together. The first third, we, we just look back over the week. How was your week? What's been your highs and lows? How have you been doing as far as obeying Christ, seeking the Lord? Have you had any opportunities to, to share the gospel this week or talk to somebody about the Lord? And it's just a time of kind of looking back together and dealing with character, dealing with our hearts. And then we have a time of studying the Bible, looking up, studying the Bible together. And we use the sword method. Y'all remember the sword method? What does it say about God? What does this passage say about man? Is there a sin to avoid or to return from? Or is there an example or a command to follow? So we got the sword method, simple tool for studying the Bible. New believers, brand new believers will blow you away when they, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Use that tool to rightly divide the word. 
And I'm telling you, we can teach them to study the word using that tool. And so then we study it. Well, then looking ahead, so looking back, looking up, looking ahead, we need to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So then we want to set goals for obedience based on what we study. And we're going to do it tonight. Based on what we study tonight, we need to each set some goals so that we can move forward and obey what we learn so that we're not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Okay. Feel like you're getting a drink through a fire hydrant. Come to the training on September 11th, and we'll slow down a lot. This is all a review, okay? So, first tool is the three-thirds process, looking back, looking up, and looking ahead. Or, you may have heard it said, dealing with the head, the heart, and the hands. Our knowledge, our character, and our obedience. Three-thirds process. Because we want to make healthy disciples. We want to address the head, the heart, and the hands. But the next tool for discipleship, is the seven commands of Christ. I wrote them down up here. If you look at Acts chapter 2, you're going to see what the early church was doing as soon as these new believers came to Christ. And if you look at Acts 2 and you make a list of the things that they're doing, I think you can really kind of hone in on some things that Jesus taught that undoubtedly his disciples thought were important to teach new believers. And we can say, well, these are the, the things that we need to teach first. So a short-term discipleship tool, seven commands of Christ. Believers, new believers, need to know about repentance and faith. Repent and believe. You look at the story of Zacchaeus. Beautiful story of a changed life. The second, the second command is be baptized. You look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Immediate obedience to baptism. And you don't have to tell them, do this, do this. You say, in this story... Do you see any examples to follow? And then they say, well, I need to be baptized. So that you let the Word of God disciple them to be obedient to the Word of God. Number three is pray. We're going to talk about that tonight. Number four, go and make disciples. Number five, to love. Number six, to give from the heart. Number seven, to take the Lord's Supper together. And we teach these new believers which, by the way, this works on the mission field to, to teach new churches how to function as a healthy church. To teach these new believers how to follow Christ. And by the time you meet once a week to study this, always using the same three-thirds process, then they're going to see this pattern of how to study and obey the Word. They can take that with them and study any book of the Bible, any passage from the Bible. So, here's your drink from the fire hydrant, okay? Now, tonight... We're going to back up, and if you, if, you, if you remember, it's only been about a month or two uh, ago. We, if you were here, we studied through Repent and Believe. We looked at Zacchaeus. We looked at a changed life, and we looked at examples to follow. We learned things about God, learned things about Zacchaeus, a man. And then the week after that, or, or maybe two weeks after that, we talked about baptism. We studied the passage in Acts uh, chapter 8 about the uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, if you remember way back, we had a man who's a leader in the, uh, the IMB come, and he studied through John chapter 4, the study of the woman at the well, and how God used this woman, a brand new convert with a really bad reputation, to reach her whole village for Christ. And we determined that you don't have to be Billy Graham to be used by God. Remember that story? I, I wanted to study it tonight, but, but when uh, our brother came and shared that with us, he did a great job, and we'll, we're just going let to that, let that lie. So tonight, 
we're going to look at prayer together. This passage is very familiar. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And it's what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gave his disciples a model to pray by. It's clear that we're not supposed to only just recite it without thinking through it. There's nothing wrong with praying God's word. Nothing wrong with praying God's word. But we don't want to just recite it without thinking about what we're praying. So tonight, you guys have blank sheets. Because you're going to help me fill in the blanks. Okay? So here's what we'll do. Before we dive in, we're going to pray. Ask God to help us. Father, we've already covered a lot of information. I pray that you'd use it to, to help us be equipped. At the very least, to show us and give us a greater desire to be equipped. To be able to effectively make disciples for your glory, for your name's sake. Help us to be good stewards of the relationships that you have given us. Help us to be good stewards of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be good stewards of your word and of new believers and help us to every one of us to be disciple makers to be confident and to know what to say and how to say it lord use our lives to strengthen other believers and help them to be obedient to your great commission as well and tonight as we study through uh, the, the lord's prayer that you gave us a model of how to pray lord would you help it to be fresh in our minds would you help us give us guide our thoughts guide our our, our, our words? Would you help us to rightly divide your word? Would you help us, Lord, to see how to apply and be doers of your word? God, would you help us to be prayer warriors that, that, that love to fellowship with you, that trust you with all of our hearts, that, that are not hypocritical or, uh, or People that would give up praying, but people that would seek your face, trust you, and rely on you wholly. I pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Matthew 6. If you have a sheet, you're taking notes. You can write it right above the sword in that little block. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. We're going to read it. I'm going to ask these questions, and then you guys are going to fill in the blanks. You're going to do my job for me, all right? Now. Pay attention, and while we read it, be thinking about what does this passage teach us about God? What does this passage teach us about mankind or ourselves? What does this passage teach us about sin, or is there a sin to avoid or turn from? And what is this pa is there in this passage, is there an example or a command to follow? Okay? Matthew 5, 6, Matthew 6 verse 5 this is Jesus talking and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly I say to you they have received their reward but when you pray Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, 
Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There's a lot there some pretty point blank stuff and you're thinking I don't know if that's right is that right <laughs> is that right well let's th- let's see now here's what I want to do okay anytime you give me an answer I need you to give me a verse a verse reference okay that way we can make sure we're staying on track we're not just saying anything we know about God from the whole Bible we're saying in this passage what do we learn about God okay so what do, what do you see in this passage what do we learn about God How could we summarize maybe what we learn about God in verse 5? Ma'am? He wants us to pray. Very good. I love that. Okay, so I'm going to put God over here. And that's verse 5, right? He wants us to pray. That's great. What else? What does he know? He wants us to be honest and sincere. He wants us to be honest and sincere in our prayers. So that would be verse 5 as well, right? That's good. Good way to put it. I was going to say which I guess we could say this too, God knows our hearts and our motives when we pray. You see that? He knows our hearts and our motives. So that's kind of the same thing. He wants us to be honest and sincere. Um, what else? Uh, well, to, to, Mr. Gerald did a great job of summarizing it. I was going to say also, God doesn't reward hypocritical prayer. <laughs> he wants us to be honest and sincere. Okay? What verse? He knows what we need. After we ask? Even before we ask, right? I like that. That's verse 6, Dale? Verse 8, sorry, thank you. Well then, what about verse (laughs) 6? What do we learn about God in verse 6? So Miss Jeannie said he won't, he pray, pray privately. Who else? I didn't hear. What, what else was said? He wants to spend time alone. That's, that's great. So to put those together, 
God meets with us personally and privately. Right? Is it wrong for us to pray like we did earlier as a group? That's not wrong. Right? Now, it is wrong if we're trying to impress everybody with our prayers. And Jesus said, well, that's your reward. <laughs> if, you, if your goal is to impress people, and you do, which it might be possible that it, your goal is to impress people and you don't. <laughs> and then you, then you don't even get that reward. But he wants to. God meets with us personally and privately. He loves us. He, he desires to meet with us. Anything else? He wants us to forgive others. Where's that at? What verse? Is that like verse 14 and 15? And then the privately one, I'm going to say verse 6. Okay. Uh, a lot in here about God. What about verse 7? Does God want a bunch of mindless mechanical prayers? I was trying to think of a good way to say that. He, God is not interested in mindless mechanical prayers where we just try to please him or not please him, but try to impress him or, or even maybe try to manipulate him. God, God is not manipulated. So not interested in mechanical prayers. Uh, where do you see that? Verse 7, he wants the desires of your heart. So that's the positive way. He wants heartfelt prayer, right? All right, what else? What about verse 9? What do we learn about God? Okay, holy. What else? This is basic, y'all. This is basic as it gets. What do we see? He's our Father in heaven. That's good stuff, y'all. I got a friend, and he always... And I don't, I, think, I don't think it's just routine. But when he prays to God, he's, he's like, Holy Father. We get to call God Father. That is awesome. Father in heaven. I'm just going to write Holy Father in heaven. That's good stuff. And his name is to be honored, right? Hallowed be thy name. Okay, now, that's an awful lot about God. We're going to run out of room tonight. Um, anything else that y'all want to put on there for God? You see how simple this is, sir? Sorry. He provides our all of our needs. He, I'm just going to write provides. What, what verse, Mr. Joe? Verse 11, thank you. Okay. Amen. Yes, ma'am. He wants surrender. He wants us to surrender. Amen. I was listening to a Adrian Rogers sermon this morning about that. 
the difference between committing and surrendering. <laughs> they said if somebody comes and puts a gun in your back and says, stick them up, you don't commit, you surrender. <laughs> he wants us to surrender. Verse 10, he wants us to surrender. He wants surrender. All right, so let's go to man. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> getting down low. Uh, well, all right, now. What about man in verse 5? Prideful. That is prideful, isn't it? That's prideful. Uh, I'll just write prideful. I was thinking something like, and I like that too, something like man, because not every man, but, but generally sooner or later we're prideful, right? But man can... We can pray, we can pray with poor motives, you know. I think that many of us have probably struggled with wanting to impress other people with the way that we pray. Or sometimes somebody says, man, you ought to hear so-and-so pray. Man, they sure can pray. You're thinking, oh, wow, I can pray, you know. <laughs> Everybody can pray. And it's good to God when it's a heartfelt, humble prayer. So, so we can pray with wrong, wrong motives. All right. Um, Y'all ever heard people heap up a bunch of empty phrases and pray mindless prayers? Now, I hesitate to say this. I don't want to say it in a way that's condemning because we don't know each other's heart. But I heard a preacher one time a long time ago saying that sometimes if we're not careful... It's like we throw God's name in the prayer just as filler. <laughs> if we're not thinking about what we're saying, we're just throwing. And that's not, we can't know each other's heart. But we can, sometimes, we can say rote prayers without even thinking about it. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. But, but sometimes people heap up empty phrases and pray mindless prayers. Um, anything else? You know, in that same in that same vein right there, verse seven, honestly I think that's a form of empty religion. Where we think that, that we we can really like impress God to do what we want him to do. You know, God prayer isn't so much about getting God to do it. We for us to change God's mind to get him to do what we want him to do. It's Praying his will and aligning our hearts with his will and talking to him and relating to him and coming to him as our father. You know, I don't always do what my kids want me to do, but they know they can come to me. I hope. <laughs> they might not. <laughs> I can be grumpy. I'm, I don't think I'm the only one. But we just want to know we can approach him, you know. So, you see anything else about man? How would you describe man or what we see about man to put in uh, potentially in verses 14 and 15. We can be, we can harbor unforgiveness. And what's the result of that? 
It is a condition. It's pretty blatant. So I'm going to put we can be unforgiving. And that, you know what that does? It hinders our fellowship with God. Now, we know the gospel is clear. Sometimes passages like that, you're like, what is God saying? Like, is he saying that I lose my salvation? I mean, or is he saying that, that you have to forgive to earn salvation? And I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. So we can use clear passages to help us understand passages that, that you're like, what does that mean? Now, I do not for one second want to take away the, the weight of this, this statement. This, I think this is saying that that unforgiveness is about fellowship with God, that closeness to God. How can we, how can we abide in prayer, praying to God, asking for forgiveness and trust in His grace and not at the same time extend that's that forgiveness and that grace. How can we abide in prayer and abide in unforgiveness at the same time? Does that make you see what I'm saying? I think Jesus, I think it's very, very clear. Now, I would also say if you're just mean and bitter and unforgiving, it's likely that you hadn't been forgiven by God. <laughs> at the very best, you forgot about his grace and you are not in close fellowship with him. If you're mean, and unforgiving and bitter, you can't be in close fellowship with God. Does that, do you think that's an accurate statement? Okay. Okay. We're going to unpack it a little bit more in a minute. But I want to talk about that. And I, I, was, I was reading that earlier thinking, man, that's a heavy statement. You know, that's, that's serious. That is a condition right there. Forgiveness. When we ask God to forgive us for the sin we commit then we also need to be ready to forgive other people for the sins that they commit against us. This is something that I wrote down that Brother Wade said. I'm assuming it was in a sermon. Abiding in sin cannot go along with abiding in prayer. And then another thing he said was, natural byproduct of, uh-oh, Receiving God's forgiveness is extending forgiveness to others. Um, <laughs> my chicken scratch is messing with me. We want to be like our father, right? Now, let's keep moving. I don't want to run out of time. We're going to talk more about that. Verse, sorry. What do we see about sin in this passage? Do you see any, any sinfulness in this passage? I think maybe pride. Pride, verse 5. Should have had you with me. Sorry. Unforgiveness. 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 Very clearly, unforgiveness. Okay. Empty prayers or so so basically is that is that a form of just using the Lord's name in vain? I mean it's just not it's not 
praying rightly to him, um, making even idols in our own minds sometimes. So, the unforgiveness, I'm going to put 14 and 15. Empty prayers. Verse 6 or 7? Seven. 7. All right. Let's fast forward to the best part. <laughs> Not best part. I like the part about God. But examples to follow or commands to obey. You see any commands here or examples? It's a very big example. <laughs> he said, pray like this. <laughs> uh, let's walk through that, okay? Pray like this. Pray like this. He says, come to God, God as our Father. Verse 9. I mean, you're saying, I'm looking for an example. It clearly says, when you pray, here's an example of how to pray. Come to God as our Father. Pray like this. Verse 9. So we got come to God as Father. Um, what else? Verse 9. What do we see in there? When we say, hallowed be thy name. What, what is that an example of doing? Honoring his sovereignty, right? So we, we revere him. We revere God. We pray, we pray with reverence. And that's a great example of just praising God, right? But man, we have so much to praise God, not just to thank him for, but to praise him for. So much to praise him for. All right? What about in verse 10? Ma'am, surrender. Yeah, surrender. Praying for his will, right? Praying for God's will. And that's good. And, and really, pray, and also specifically praying, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Praying for his will, surrendering to him, longing to see him and his kingdom, his will. <laughs> His will. If we sat still for a while with God and just said, God, what in my life does not line up with your will? And we said, you know what? Take it away. My desires, my appetites, whatever it is, take it away. Take it away. My idols. Yes, we're not. We're not trying to get God to align his will with ours. This isn't name it and claim it. But this is saying, how can I align my will with God? And by the way, we already know how. Pray God's word. You pray his word and you're praying his will. And don't misuse it. Don't misuse his word when you're praying it. All right, so what about verse 11? What kind of example? Right. We are asking him, we're trusting him to, and asking him to provide for our needs. Now, 
we have to really maintain an eternal perspective here, right? The book of James says that every good and perfect gift is from above, from our Father. Most of us really don't wonder where our next meal is coming from unless maybe we're trying to figure out which restaurant to go to. There's a difference. There are many people in this world, man, probably most of this world, that live daily hand to mouth. I don't know where my meal tomorrow is coming from. That kind of dependence. And it's harder for us, it's harder for us in plenty to remember how dependent we are on God. But we are dependent on Him for our every meal. We are dependent on Him for our every breath. We're dependent on Him every second of every day. We have to remain dependent on Him and trust Him for provision. Now, every one of us have something that we know is out of our control, that reminds us to come to Him for supplication, to provide our needs. Those things are a gift to remind us to depend on God. We have to depend on Him, trust Him. What about verse 12? What would you say about verse 12? Sorry? Be forgiving. Um, Okay. What about the first part of verse 12? Right. Wade Humphrey used to say, keep a short list. (laughs) A short list of sins with God. If If you're convicted of sin, that minute, Confess it a sin and turn from it. Don't wait till tonight. <laughs> Don't why wait? Confess it and turn from it. You know, when I first came to Christ, I did not know about 1 John 1 9. I didn't know that if we confessed our sins, that God was faithful and just to forgive us and restore us, to cleanse us and restore us from all unrighteousness. And there were there were times where I'd feel convicted about something, it would make me want to run away from God, kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, but a good friend of mine, his name's Danny Allen. He's a local pastor here now. He, he poured into me and he told me one time, Trey, when, when you feel convicted, well, first of all, he had to explain what conviction was. When you feel guilty like that, it's called conviction and it's a good thing. It's God's loving discipline because he loves you. And he's saying, that's not who you are anymore. You have been bought with a price. Turn away from that. Come back to me. Well, when I felt like that, and I did it when I was a little boy. <laughs> I knew as soon as my parents caught me, if I ran away, the spanking was going to be worse. But you know what? I still tried <laughs> every time. <laughs> One day I locked, the, <laughs> my bedroom door didn't even lock anymore because I locked it so many times. My dad made it where it wouldn't lock. So I ran in their door and I locked it. And I waited, I sat in his room and waited until he got off work. And he finally took the the door off the hinges and he barely caught me. I was on my way out the window. (laughs) I I like to run from punishment, from discipline. He said, don't run from discipline. Return to God. 
When he convicts you of sin, confess it. Agree with him that that was wrong. Trust him to forgive you and restore you. And be in right relationship with God. When he convicts you, it's because he loves you. He's disciplining you. So yeah, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. And forgive. All right, what about verse 13? What does it say? Lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. That'd be a good way to pray for our Afghani brothers and sisters. Yes, sir. Amen. Right. If lead. Amen. Amen. I just for summary I wrote guidance and protection. We need God to lead us. And man, don't you know if you're following him, you're going in the right direction. And even if it's through a valley, we don't have to fear the valley of the shadow of death. If he is the one who's guiding us, his rod and his staff comfort us, lead us, and lead us not into temptation. Guide us and deliver us. By the way, if you are in Christ tonight, if you have recognized your sin, you have turned away from your sin and trusting in yourself and put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you have been saved from punishment, from destruction. And one day, if Jesus doesn't come back, we're going to die. Right? They're going to put our bodies in the grave. And Paul said, it's even better. To live is for Christ and to die is gain. We don't live like that. We don't pray like that. We spend a lot more time in our prayer time trying to pray and keep saints out of heaven than we do praying for lost people to be saved. But it is better Listen, it is better to die and go to heaven than it is to live in this evil age. So one day, God's going to deliver us for real from evil. Adrian Rogers. Well, I'm go back to Adrian Rogers. He talked about how when we're saved, that God saves us from the punishment of sin. And he is constantly right now saving us from the power of sin. But one day when he glorifies us, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. I long for that day. And I get too distracted by this world. Often. I get too distracted by this world. And I live my life for things that will not matter in a hundred years. Much less eternity. But what if we say, God, lead us. God, guide us. God, use us. Forgive us. Help us to forgive like you forgive. Help us to stay in close step with your spirit. Help us to abide in you. To walk with you. Help us to bear fruit, bear fruit through us. We stay connected. We pray for eternity's sake. 
We pray for His kingdom, for His will. We confess sin when we're convicted. All day long, just praying and talking to God, trusting Him. We can live for eternity. And then one of these days, if y'all, if, if y'all outlive me, if y'all outlive me, tell people at my funeral that I am where I want to be and I wouldn't come back if I could. God delivered me from evil. Amen. He delivers us from evil. All right. And then verses 14 and 15, I think. There's an example or command to search our hearts for any unforgiveness and to turn from it by God's grace. Search our hearts. You know, our hearts are tricky. Man, I heard somebody say not long ago that man is not a rational being, but a rationalizing being. And we can come up with good excuses to be unforgiving. But there is none. There is none. And aren't you glad that God doesn't come up with excuses not to forgive? He's our example. And he's our Father. He's our Lord. He said to do it. So do it. Go forgive people. Whether they ask for it or not. Search your hearts. And if there is any unforgiveness, know that that harbored unforgiveness separates you from closeness with God. And you need to confess it as sin. And you need to offer that forgiveness. Whether you go to the person or not. Or just forgive them in your heart. I heard, I heard Mr. Alvin say at one of our men's breakfasts. That when you have bitterness or unforgiveness towards somebody, it's like drinking poison hoping to hurt them. But that unforgiveness is keeping you from closeness with God. It's not hurting them, hurting you. So, but not just for what we get out of it, it's because God said do it. So just do it. <laughs> Y'all remember the skit? Stop it. You remember that? I'm scared I'm going to be buried in a box alive. Well, stop it. Y'all remember that? Stop it. Just stop being unforgiving. Forgive. Don't be bitter. You don't want to be bitter. Don't be controlled by bitterness. Verse 11 says we should forgive. We should just forgive. All right. So now, real quick, and we're going to wrap it up. Pray like this. If you look under the teach, main point, MP is main point. Pray like this. Jesus gave us a diagram to pray. Pray like this. And then you can fill it in. Subpoints I put on there that he wants authentic, humble, trusting and praising him, prayers that praise him. And another subpoint to allow our relationship with God to guide us and rest in him and to overflow. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to set goals for obedience. You see that little section under do? Set goals for obedience. This is for you to do personal goals for personal obedience. Here's a few options. How can you praise God? Let's make a list of ways to praise God. Are there any areas in your life that are not surrendered to Him? If there's any area in your life where you cannot say your will be done, then you need to confess that as an idol and you need to turn from that and you need to ask him to forgive you and to help you desire his will. Don't know why we do it, but we do. We hold things back behind our back from God. And I don't know why we would ever do that. He's so good. He is so worthy. He is so generous. What we hold back does not compare with what he desires to give. Why do we hold back? Are there any areas not surrendered to him? Confess them. Are there any areas that you need to trust him? 
Is there any area that you're not trusting him to meet your need, your daily bread? Where are you not trusting him? Ask him to help you. One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite stories. You remember when Jesus had been up on the mountain, Mount of Transfiguration and he comes down and his disciples have been trying to cast the demon out of this, this uh, young man. And Jesus is like, what's going on? And the father runs up to him and he says, I, I brought this, this, my boy to your, to your disciples. The demons fill him up and they, 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 they torment him and they throw him into the fire and they harm him. They seek to harm his life and they can't cast him out. And he said, if you can help. And Jesus said, if I can help. Like, do you forget who you're talking to? If I can help. He said, all things are possible for those who believe. And the father said, Lord, I believe. Help my disbelief. I've prayed that before. God, I believe. <laughs> help my disbelief. I believe, but I'm struggling. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust you. Are there areas that you need to trust them? And then when you pray, pray intentionally. Pray heartfelt prayers to God, not empty words. And then here's the most simple application, practical. When are you going to pray? Right? If you're sitting here thinking, man, I need to pray more. Well, make a plan. When are you going to pray? When are you going to pray? And just start praying. Every day, all day, pray. All right? I've gone over. I only get you about once every other month, so i got to make the most of our time. But it's been good. Y'all did great tonight. Good job. Rightly dividing the word. Let's go be people of prayer. And let's pray in a way that, that, that draws us near to the will of God and helps us to love others and forgive with his forgiveness and helps us to represent him well so that his kingdom comes and his will is done and follow him and desire his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. We thank you for the richness of such a small, familiar passage. Lord, I thank you for a time just to slow down a little bit and, and just dissect what it says. God, help us, help us to be people of prayer. And if, if we know other people that need to know this, Lord, give us the, the, the intentionality to go and teach them how to pray and to study Scripture with them in this way. Help us to make disciples that make disciples that reach the nations for Christ. We pray you keep your hand on our church. Help us, Lord, to keep our hearts and our minds on you. And would you bless us as we seek to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.